journeying through the seasonal guide this week, you will be familiar with the NIV translation of it. But I thought we'll mix it up and bring another um, version so we get a fresh perspective. Um, Yes, I'll get amongst. There was a man of the Pharisee sect, Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the Jews. Late one night, he visited Jesus and said, Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. Nobody could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts you do if God weren't in on it. Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me. Unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. How can anyone, said Nicodemus, be born who has already been born and grown up? You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying with all this born from above talk? Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, the baptism into new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that a body that you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within it is formed by something you can't see and touch, the spirit, and becomes a living spirit. So don't be so surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above, out of this world, so to speak. You know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it's headed next. That's the way it is with everybody born from above. With the wind of God, the spirit of God. Nicodemus asked, what do you mean by this? How does this happen? Jesus said, you're a respected teacher of Israel and you don't get these basics. Listen carefully. I'm speaking sober truth to you. I speak only of what I know by experience. I give witness only to what I have seen with my eyes. There is nothing secondhand here. No hearsay. Yet instead of facing the evidence and accepting it, you procrastinate with questions. If I tell you things that are plain as the hand before the face that you see, and you don't believe me, what use is it in telling you things that you can't see, the things of God? No one has ever gone up into the presence of God except the one who came down from that presence, the Son of Man. In the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert so that people could have something to see and then believe, it is necessary for the Son of Man to be lifted up. And everyone who looks up to him, trusting and expectant, will gain a real life, eternal life. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. So, the passage starts with Nicodemus sneaking out into the night. And so I want to start with a question. Um, What would you sneak out in the middle of the night for? Go to the next slide. When I was thinking about um, sneaking out of bed at night, I kind of imagine those sort of 80s or 90s kid gang movies where they bust out of bed, like get on their bikes and um, hoot through town to uncover a mystery. Or I think about my flatmates getting up at 3am to go and see the supermoon down at the beach. 
Or I think about me getting on my bike as a teenager to meet my friends and go and get an ice cream from the petrol station at like 1am just because it's the only place that's open. Or I think about how people drive through the night to see someone that they love. Or perhaps in a less healthy way, sneaking out to get high or to get drunk or to get lucky. But in all these things, at a basic, deep down level, I think it's all for the same reason. I think the only reason someone would sneak out into the night is to feel alive. Because they have a longing and they want it to be filled. There's this beautiful poem um, called Thirst by my favourite poet, Mary Oliver. And the opening line of it is, Another morning and I wake with thirst for the goodness I do not have. And this idea grips me that we humans are creatures that long for things. We have a thirst for goodness to be in us and to be external to us. We have this desire to be alive, desires to be filled. And for Nicodemus, there was a gap in his knowledge, a gap in his understanding about God. Just as a reminder, Nicodemus was living in an era before the internet and um, before Encarta and even before the Encyclopedia Britannica. And in fact, his crowd of people were pretty much the encyclopedia and the internet of the day. They were the Wikipedia page on being Jewish. They were the ones who had the knowledge about this stuff. He was a Jewish leader, a real kind of intellectual in his head guy. And he could see in Jesus that there was something of God that he couldn't figure out and he needed to know more. He had that longing, that curiosity, and it drove him out into the night to see Jesus. So you know um, sometimes when you see birds and they like puff themselves up um, when they see another bird and they're threatened by it. Or um, cats and how they like hunch their back and all their fur sticks on its end. Um, this is kind of the way that I imagine a little bit that Nicodemus rolls into this conversation with Jesus. He has this curiosity, um, but he's kind of approaching Jesus as if he already knows the answers. Um, he's a little bit like puffed up. He says, Rabbi, we all know that you're a teacher straight from God. But pretty quickly, Jesus kind of steamrolls him and Nicodemus is confronted by what he doesn't know about Jesus and what he doesn't know about God. Thanks. And so there are two things that I want to kind of draw out this evening. Firstly, Nicodemus learns that he must give up his life now to be born again. Secondly, that Jesus is more than a teacher. He's a saviour. So let's look at the first of these two things. In Nicodemus's era, um, the family that you were born into really mattered. Heritage was a big deal in Jewish culture. Being a child of Abraham and being connected by blood to the promise of God mattered to people. But what Jesus is saying is that God is starting a new family in which this physical birth to the right people isn't enough. There's a new birth to be born again from above. In Jesus' answer to Nicodemus, he really got more than what he bargained for. He came along with a thirst, um, and then in this interaction with Jesus, he sort of, we, we start to see that he maybe had some preconceived ideas about what Jesus was going to say, because he's a little bit unwilling to be able to take on these new ideas that Jesus gives him. Um, he's like, wait, you can't go back into the womb and be born again. He's not really picking up what Jesus is putting down which I guess is understandable. 
Because Nicodemus is someone who stands with a lot to lose from what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, the fact that you're born into the right family and that you've got a lot of rank as a fancy Jewish man, your status, your intellect, it won't actually help you get ahead here. And in, in order to enter this kingdom, you're on the same footing as everybody else. It's the Spirit's work that enables you to be spiritually born again. And in this matter, you're like a helpless baby. Effectively, what Jesus says to Nicodemus is, all you think that will get you ahead in life doesn't matter. You've got to be born again by the work of God's Spirit. Slide. Does anybody um, remember swing ball? Yeah, so good. So it's kind of like tennis for only children um, or for people who aren't very coordinated. And, <laughs> and I think that Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus is kind of like swing ball. Like Nicodemus is going into this conversation expecting like this is the orbit of what we're going to be talking about. Um, and then they start chatting and it turns out they're actually playing tennis and like where the ball could go is just so much wider than what Nicodemus has bargained for. <laughs> so Jesus just starts shattering the paradigms that Nicodemus has. And it starts with this idea about being born again. But there's a second one too. As we saw before, the way Nicodemus approaches Jesus um, is that he believes he's a teacher. He says to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. We, we all know that. Um, you're someone who's called by God to do the mahi and teach us about life. But Jesus says, you thought I was just a teacher, and I am that. Yeah, but nah, I'm actually more than that. I am the saviour. He says, I have been with God. I am the one who came as God to earth, and I am the life. Do you see the distinction here? Jesus does not just teach about life. He is the life. Jesus says, you think I am the example, a teacher, a helper. You think that you can get some teachings from me and then you can go away and do your best and God will have favour on you. But you've got to break out of that Jewish Pharisee thinking. Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about the difference between Jewish law and Christ's gospel. He gives Nicodemus these references to hardy passages of scripture He says about how um, this is the same spirit that created the world, that hovered over the water, that that brings you into new life. It's the same as the snake being lifted up in the wilderness, um, an image of something being lifted up in order to save the people. And he says, that's who I am. The one that has come to rescue the whole world. The difference between a teacher and a saviour is that a teacher teaches you how to do something you can do for yourself. And Nicodemus was pretty stuck in this way of thinking. But here is Jesus saying, there is something you cannot do for yourself, but I'm here to do it for you. I am the saviour who has come to do something that you cannot do. And you can't be born again unless you believe that. So here are these two ideas come together. That Jesus is more than a teacher, he's a saviour. That out of his ridiculous love for us, Jesus would choose to come to the earth and live and die for his people. And that by this work as the saviour, people would be enabled to be born again into the new life. 
to be born into a new family, the family of God. Jesus is the one who is making this totally new way of life possible. Jesus is not just the teacher, he's the saviour. And this idea fuses with the other idea of an invitation to new life. And these things come together in what I call Jesus being eternal life. So that's how these things kind of fuse together in this passage. And there's this thing that I read this week um, about the gospel of Jesus having this demanding beauty. I think it's a great combination of words. That the truth of Jesus' gospel is beautiful, but if we are really to take in this truth, it will cost. The gospel is offered freely, yet we must respond. And here in this interaction with Nicodemus, we see this demanding beauty to take up new life. Nicodemus and all of us are called to let go of our old life. And Nicodemus had a pretty good life. It was pretty full, he was pretty rich, and he was pretty respectable. And yet it wasn't enough for him in the first place. He was still thirsty for more. He thought he could come and get a thing from Jesus to fill the gap in him. But here in approaching Jesus, he is confronted with the message that his whole life must be given up in order to satisfy that longing. A new start made, born again, absolutely back to square one. He cannot be taught how to do it himself. He must rely on God's work in Jesus. A tremendous and a beautiful and a huge thing is offered in Jesus' invitation, but a lot is also required in response. The reality is that the call from Jesus to lose your life in order to save it is there right from the start. It can't be sidestepped. A surrender to the spirit of love which draws us into new life is required to be born again. The very act of saying yes to the life of Jesus is an act of saying no to mine. For those of you who were around a few months ago, we talked about this idea um, a few times around the theme of baptism, um, the act of dying to your old self and being raised up to new life in Christ. And this is the same idea with different language around it. We read in Romans 6, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Christ came in love to live and be lifted up. Christ came in love to die and rise in order to become our saviour, that we might enter into new life in him. And what is beautiful is that even in the first step of trusting the Spirit, of surrendering to being born again, of choosing to trust Jesus, of choosing to be baptised, there is already evidence of the new life in us. Every tiny act of trust and surrender to the work of the Spirit shows the life and character of Jesus beginning to take form in us. It starts with this very first act of accepting new life in Jesus and that tiny spark grows. And grow it must. Because, friends, the invitation isn't just to be born again and stay a baby, but to be born again and to grow. In this verse tonight, we read that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. 
or the message translation that we read has it as whole and lasting life. And the thing is, is that it's Jesus who is eternal life. The very thing that, the, that sustains life in Christ is this ongoing rhythm of dying to self and living to God. And this is what's going on in the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus um, about how um, the eternal life that he had was in the Father and that he has come from the Father, um, he's saying that that life is the life that lives by giving itself away. Um, As Alana shared with us a couple of months ago, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, it remains alone. But if it falls to the ground and it breaks open, it can bear much fruit. This is the life we are called to in the gospel. God's very own life, which he shares with us in Jesus. This is the gospel of life. The true life appeared in Jesus, the kind of life that denies itself for others and so becomes even greater than before. We are called to accept his life, his way, and leave ours. We are called to say no to the life that we will lose anyway and say yes to his kind of life. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is the life. It is just Jesus and the abundance he creates, his creation, his reign, his way. Jesus is the giver and the gift, as the prayer book says. This is the central truth that we, like Nicodemus, must come to. That all of us have a thirst, we all long to be alive, and that the thing in us, um, that's the thing that kind of drives us to do what we do. But we cannot just have Jesus as our teacher. To teach us how to live a better life for our own ends. We cannot use Jesus simply as a cure for our longing. In um, Matthew 11, there's a scripture. Oh yeah, there it is. That's great. Um, This is again the message translation. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. (laughs) A real rest. (laughs) Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And the point is that Jesus' invitation is first to come away with me. Get away with me. And that in that process, we will lose our life and recover life. We find life in him. The point is not about recovering life and Jesus being a kind of means to that end. It's the other way around. Recovering the true life um, God desires for us comes from keeping company with Jesus. So like Nicodemus, if we come with preconceived ideas of what we can get from Jesus, what he can teach us so that we can live a better life on our own terms, we will probably be sorely disappointed. Because Jesus will show us that we need not only a teacher, but a saviour. So for all the longings we have, for the thirst to be alive that we have, we cannot teach ourselves how to have a full life here. We have to be born again, surrendering to the work of the Spirit, and after we're born again, to live again and again into the rhythm of Jesus' life, into the mystery of dying to self, of living to God, 
into the unforced rhythms of grace, of losing your life in the life of Jesus in pursuit of loving God and loving others and seeking out God's reconciliation in the world. And so I'd like to invite you guys to take a moment to sit before God with these words for the musos to come up. God, we ask that you would show us by your spirit what you'd most want to say to us from these words. What you're inviting us to. To celebrate the joyful invitation of new life you've offered in Jesus. That, that you desire for us to be in your family. And that in Jesus we can enter that new life. Or to repent from where we've approached you just as a teacher and fail to remember that we can't do it all ourselves. That we need you and your life. That we need a saviour. Oh God, we confess, um, this might be for some people, something that we've been holding on to really tight um, and we're struggling to die to it. We're struggling to give it up to you, God. And we just want to approach you with that, with humility. So let's just take a few moments.